Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Blethered, and my guest is Paul Doherty. Paul is currently a playback technician for Lewis Capaldi, and he's toured all over the world with some very well-known acts, including Mo in Las Vegas, and a variety of roles. He talks about his experiences on the road with the artists that he's worked with, and we discuss how the music industry has had to evolve in line with society, with streaming services such as Spotify and Apple Music having a monumental impact on how everything now operates. We chat about finding your way in life, doing what you enjoy and saying yes to opportunity. There's a wee bit of everything in there and Paul gives an interesting insight into the process that musicians go through. There's far more to it than just turning up and singing. If you do enjoy it, feel free to share it. Cheers. So Paul, quite similar to the conversation I had with Craig Johnston, um, you've taken a slightly similar route into into the job that you've got now and it was a wee bit unconventional not completely related to to your university degree but i suppose we'll go for the start and we'll get a wee bit of background so tell us a wee bit about yourself in terms of where you grew up what life was like and, and that kind of thing hi um i went to uh i grew up in bishop briggs and then moved to the broiston kind of early age went to turnbull high school hung about bishy and that I was always kind of into my music, especially at like high school and that. Started like learn guitar, used to play drums. Um, was right into like wanting to be in a band and all that. And um, that was sort of like like coming through high school and that. Obviously, I was like right into like I, I was not I, I wouldn't say I was like super academic. Like I did enjoy going to school for a social aspect, and I was good. Like, I was in kind of, like, credit classes and that, done like all right marks, but music was the kind of main thing that sort of almost got me through the week, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that was, like, if I wasn't, if I wasn't going to, like, the music block at lunch and all that, then it would be, like, extracurricular stuff and that, and I was just, you know, into bands and kind of like any teenager that's into their music, you just kind of fully immerse yourself in it, do you know what I mean? And that was me. What's what is we'll we'll jump back to the present day. What is your current job just now? My current job right now um, is that I'm uh, I'm working as a playback technician for uh, Lewis Capaldi. So what I do basically is I'll tour exclusively with that artist. Um, I'm self-employed, so obviously like I work with different artists and all that. But mm-hmm. right now, um, I'd be employed by like the management company or the tour manager um, to come on the tour. And basically what I'm doing is I run all the backing tracks, I program all the kind of, like if, if you're watching a, if you're watching a show and say like the piano sound changes to like an organ sound or like the guitar sound changes feel like clean to like a distorted sound, I program all that and mm. it's called the session, which basically like it's a timeline of the show so that like at the right points, all that stuff changes, and then also I run like a kind of digital. It's getting a bit geeky, but I run a digital signal that that is sent out to the front of house, so that the the lighting guys can lock in with that as well, so that like the lighting cues are on on time every night. So basically, the in a nutshell, a tour with the 
with the artist and kind of just program some aspects of the show and then kind of general upkeep all, all the instruments in that as well. See, I want to kind of highlight a few of these things, but I also want to educate myself. So I've got a load of questions about hey, hey. How, how a show works, how a tour kind of goes, because on the right. surface, you buy, you buy your ticket, you turn up, the guy sings and you go up the road and that was easy. But it's not totally. that easy, is it? How how many people are te- can be involved in a like? Let's just say Lewis Capaldi's tour. Well, some like if you're if you're doing, I mean, it could be anything for you know one guy and a, and and his road manager or whatever driving him about and making sure he gets like paid and all the paperwork's done, or he can go upwards to let's like, say a show at the Hydro or like, an arena tour in the UK. You could be looking at anything to for like eighty to a hundred crew. Like and that's and that's not just like that's eighty to a hundred people who are travelling with the artist. Then on top of that, you've got everybody who actually works in the venue, and then you've got like the guys who come in locally and help like rig the stage, like build it all. Like the, the guys that you sometimes see kicking about with the hard hats on and all that, they're local guys, so they're not even on the tour. So that's on top of that. So it can, it can get pretty. It's a huge operation when it gets to kind of that that's that level. I was out for dinner with a, with a songwriter down in London and we were talking about the music, uh, money in the music industry and I said something about, I can't remember who I was even talking about now and I said, did they get a £1 million record deal? But they said they didn't have any money and he was saying, right, okay, that's a, let's just say an umbrella f- number, but then for that they've got to pay these local people sometimes to come in if, if that maybe they need to pay for part of their tour or they've got to pay for session musicians to come in, you've got to pay for studio time, you've got to play, pay for... Uh, editing producers and all that kind of thing and how it it's it's a very expensive thing to, to manage as well. It's not just oh, no, definitely. Right. I think that like a lot of the misconception with folk looking at especially with artists and stuff is that like oh he's a millionaire like he said he sold he sold or they sold two million records. So think if like if that's seven quid a record, like how much money they've got, but that's not how it works. It's like all mm. the money that they they generate gets put into the pot. Do you know what I mean? Like they're running a business at the end of the day. Aye. Like they are they are the business. So they'll maybe pay themselves a certain amount like per month of that so that they can pay their rain bills and that. But all that money feel that's ge- like generated for like ticket sales and um album sales and all that, that goes into as you were saying, like the higher of the venue booking all the tour buses, paying folk like myself, paying the catering staff, pay, like all that stuff, that doesn't just appear, do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that all gets paid for by the artist or or by the business that the artist is running, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I interviewed Kero uh, Khan yesterday. And, uh, oh, aye, good guy. Uh, top guy, absolute top lad. And we were talking about, um, they've got a really big profile like in other countries abroad. And he was right. saying that it's probably thanks to streaming uh, and, you know, like people in Spotify and different attitudes in different countries because he said that he feels, so they've been been around for about 10, 11, 12 years uh, and he feels that now Radio 1 might not play their music, even if it's really good because he would have to admit that they missed the boat back in the day because they're all about new music and, and sort of big music. And then we got, so we got on to the whole thing about streaming. So t- I think Thailand, India... Germany, Poland, Russia, they've got really big followings. Aye. Aye. We've seen that that's, that's thanks to streaming. But do you, has, has streaming impacted an artist's earnings? Because remember, it used to be 
you you had to buy the record if you wanted the music you had to buy the record or you had to hear it in the right. radio but now i can i don't need to touch my phone i can say hey sorry play something and it'll come on aye well i think it was sort of like maybe it's like the millennium like the kind of dawn of the internet like i remember like when I was at uni, we used to go to all these kind of seminars and stuff and talk about it. And even at that stage, streaming and that wasn't really a thing. Mm. What's happened is obviously artists in that used to make all their, or the majority of their money off record sales. I mean, think about like the 70s and 80s and all that. Like even the 90s, people were buying millions of records and singles every week. And that was what generated a lot of money that's kind of flipped it's we called it like the paradigm shift where like the money coming in to an art like the into the industry changed for being record sales to the live sector mm-hmm. because of the dawn of the internet everybody just started download like you know yourself like LimeWire and all that happened and everybody was just downloading stuff for free so then record companies had to be like right how do we catch up and monetize on that like we can't just let this happen and us lose all this revenue. So obviously then, as you see, like streaming sites became a hang download, like iTunes and all that were like paid downloads. Every time that you stream something on Spotify, it's a very small percentage. And it actually has only really started to happen in the past couple of years, is that like a very small percentage will go to the artist. Like I don't know the exact, the exact percentage, but say that like if you played a song like zero point three or 0.4 pence went to the artist that obviously adds up and and there's obviously the argument for like an artist like taylor swift or something would make a lot more money than a local artist and that the, their money should be higher so that they actually get a cut of it but i'm not i don't make the rules with that but that at the end of the day it's that kind of way where the the industry had to adapt to the way people were consuming do you know what i mean so they, they obviously it. wanted to do that, and that's the industry like, well, how do we monetize on that? I suppose, that, as you say, it just flips it and it becomes a paradigm shift, and it's just then up to the artist and their team to capitalize on it because exactly was with the streaming, the advent of streaming or the introduction of it and its, it's rise in popularity has seen then people in Singapore or Thailand or Cambodia or wherever having right. easy access to your music and it creates a whole new market and and so on. I suppose quite interesting. I mean, it's great. Like, it's great because, I mean, if you think, like, back before the internet was obviously a thing that, like, people used to to find, like, what music they liked, it would be like going to record stores and that. And and although that is great and it's, it's still a very popular thing for folk today, as you said, like, how is somebody in Thailand going to hear your music? Like, if you're wanting to push it globally, like, it's such a great way, like, streaming and all that is such a great way to get your your music out to a global audience. And who knows, like, I've worked with acts that are, like, for example, from Denmark, right? Nobody's heard of them in the UK. So, like, us living in the UK will be like, ah, oh, they're not that big a band or, like, whatever. But they'll go to, like, Japan and sell out stadiums. And it's just because, like, it's a target market, and like, like they obviously their fan base is in Japan. So, although we might have no heard them here, doesn't mean that they're they're not like killing it somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? 
It's so funny that I suppose then the whole streaming thing is it's almost like flinging loads of dynamite into different parts of water, and then wherever the fish seem to yeah. rise, then you just go and hit there. If you're like, oh well, we've got a bite in Japan, so it's off to Japan. Aye. I mean, again, it's like it's no. I don't have to deal with that personally in my job, but obviously you're very aware of when you're working with an artist. Like they've got their eye on that. Like there's so many, mm-hmm. like obviously jobs in the industry have been create, created over the past maybe 10 or 20 years that specialise in that. Do you know what I mean? Like people mm-hmm. will be looking at all that and being like, oh, like you, your single come out, it's had 200 mere like lessons in this city to that city, even in the UK. So when you go and look at booking a tour, you can then tailor the tour to hit the places where you know Aye. The audience has been more receptive. Do you know what I mean? So that you can almost kind of like tell it's almost no like like you say that it can be a scattergun effect in terms of like you putting your music out there and seeing what happens. But in terms of actual like the live sector where I'm involved, you can now really hone in and and make the maester like like have a, a bigger impact because you know the places that you're going, mm-hmm. the audience is receptive to your music, do you know what I mean? You're not just being like, oh, let's go and book a tour of the US and see what happens. Like, you already know, like, all right, folk have been listening in New York, but nobody's been listening to it in Arkansas, so you're never going to book a gig there, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you can kind of tailor make, like, do you know what I mean? Your kind of reach in that sense. Got its benefits. That's funny because sometimes I, I look at where people are touring and I'm like, I have honestly previously went, the where the fuck's the logic in that? Like, no, totally. just, like it, I'm like, you're missing out loads of places, but it makes complete sense. But uh, that's, it's the same for my sense as well. I've been on tours with bands and I've been like, looked at the touring schedule and been like, why the fuck are we going there? Like on a Tuesday night in the middle of November in the middle of Poland and why are we going here? And then it's one of the best gigs of the tour, and you're like, what the fuck? And that's obviously because somebody, somebody has been like, oh, that, that's where we need to go, do you know what I mean? That's when you know somebody's a good artist. That's like the musical. Uh, can, you, can you date in a cold, wet Tuesday night in Stoke? Uh, can you date in a cold, wet winter's night in Warsaw? Aye, uh, exactly, mate. Aye, uh, totally. Obviously, I suppose then we're an artist having a lot of a lot of things that they have to pay, a lot of overheads, a lot of responsibilities. They would probably want to streamline things. Um, and as you, as we're saying, the, the industry has evolved. Do you still get hangers on? Do you still get groupies? Do you still get people who come just for the party? Or is that a, a long forgotten relic? It's, I mean, we always have a laugh on tour because it's like, obviously we live in this bubble where... Like, I just, like, it's my job, do you know what I mean? So that, like, mm-hmm. you wake up and you go to work and then it's all, like, it's like a travelling circus. You kind of wake up, you set it up, you do the gig, you pack it down, you get it back in the truck, then you wake up in a different city and you do it all over again. <laughs> a lot of people look in on that and they obviously with the, the kind of anecdotes and all that and you're like, oh, it must be mental backstage and all that. Like, maybe I, like, see if it's an artist's, like, hometown gig, there'll be a, maybe a wee after party backstage of that, right. where, like, some, maybe a couple of football players that will come in. But see, 95% of the time, honestly, it's so boring. Like, everybody <laughs> just sits in the dressing room, either on their phone, or, like, I bought a Nintendo Switch 
like last year and it's one of the best things that I've bought because I can just sit and play FIFA. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's that. Everybody just sits about not really talking to each other because you're living in each other's pockets as well. That's right. another thing. Like, you're on the bus and like, if MD who's never been on a tour bus or doesn't know, it's like, it's bunk beds inside a bus. You imagine like a double-decker bus, 16 mm. folks sleeping on that. You're like, a sheet of plywood away for three other folk. So when you've got that and then you're in a venue with them all day and you're eating dinner with them and then like it's constant. So see when you're backstage, it's not like, hey, let's hang out and party. Sometimes you're just like, I want to put my headphones on and not even look at MD. Do you know what I mean? It's not that glamorous, I promise. Uh, I, that, that would drive me nuts. That, I would get about a week and I'd be like, see the way he chews his fucking food, by the uh, way? <laughs> he's so honest. <laughs> I want to smash I, a, <laughs> I want to <laughs> smash a stray over his head. Uh, and you're like, what, what's wrong with him? I mean, he's absolutely fine. It's like, just look at him, but look at the way he's just kicking about. Like, what's he look wearing these shoes for? I know, totally. <laughs> I mean, a day, yeah. that's, a day love, what a day. Like, I'm not saying that, like, I, what I go about wanting to barter every day and, and my face tripped me, but human. it is, aye, it can be Groundhog Day quite a lot of the time. And, and the main point is it's not as glamorous as what it seems. You've, uh, you're obviously doing quite a, an enjoyable job, but you don't just get to the point of touring with such a big tour and, and with such an important role. So I suppose we'll flip it all the way back to the start again. What was your right. first your first sort of footstep? Because people will be listening wondering, how do you even get into that job? How do you come to know uh, these people? What was your first well, steps into like, the well, very first one? Aye, right. So as I'd said, like, I was kind of into music in high school and all that, and it kind of... Then, like, go to my exams, and, like, I, I didn't kind of really know what I wanted to do. Like, I feel like there's so much pressure put on kids, especially when they're kind of, like, fourth year, or earlier even, but when you get to kind of fourth year, and it's like, right, you need to pick your hires, and then you pick your hires, and it's like, right, now you need to decide what you want to do for the rest of your entire life, and it's like, mm-hmm. you're, like, 16, 17-year-old, like, that's so daunting, and, it, like, even now, if you ask me that question, like, I don't think I'd be able to just kind of take it on my shoulders and go with it. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so that happened and it was like, kind of, would you want a day? And my, as I said, my marks were all right. And I was kind of looking at like doing forensic science. And my mum was like, oh, you should do that. You should do uh, civil engineering. And I'd went to like Strathclyde Uni and all that. And my dad, he builds whiskey barrels and he's done it since he was 15 year old. And he said to me, listen, I've woke up at 5am since I've been 15 year old, knocking my pan in every day, and I hate it. But it's what I do. It's how I make, it's how we have food. Do you know what I mean? He was like, if you can have the marks, or like, if you have the chance to do something when you wake up in the morning, it's a cliche thing to, to say, but if you wake up in the morning and you want to go to your job, like, you can't, like, that's such a, like, rare thing for folk to have mm. do you know what i mean and i think it's so important for folk to have that to 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 want to wake up and date and, and be passionate about what they do so that was what I, the way i looked at it and i was like right well what am i passionate about like music so then i was looking at courses and ended up getting into a, a music course university of west of scotland um done that course and it was great like i met a lot of great folk on it and it kind of although me personally, the degree that I got from that course hasn't helped me get the job. 
being on that course and kind of learning about the industry and networking has got me to, to where I am. It was a very fortunate thing. I always did, like, obviously, folk, they say, how did you get into this? And the long and short of it is, I was at uni. I was in a band in uni with a guy whose dad was a really big music manager in Scotland. So he does, mm-hmm. like, he manages a lot of big artists. And I was in a band with him. It was unbeknown to me for ages. I think it was like six months before I figured out whose dad was. But long story short, didn't he like being in the band? Um, ha, like I, it was kind of creative differences. His dad was the, the, you know, the big music manager, so he thought mm-hmm. like everything he said had to go. So I left the band. Kind of was still working in River Island, still at uni, and then like six months later, he'd started another band with some other pals, and they got signed to Universal for like one point five million pound or something like that. So that was quite a tough one, but. Thankfully, he came back to me and was like, listen, we're going on tour and we don't really have a clue what we're doing. Like, do you want to come on tour with us and, like, just help? Just, like, yes. fix... Like, you know you know about, like, guitars and you know about, like, pedals, effects pedals that, obviously, bands use on stage and you know how everything works. Like, do you want to come and just help us in case anything goes wrong on stage? And I was like, well, I mean, 18, 17, 18-year-old... Mm-hmm. working on River Island part-time at uni, I was like, aye, like, go down to London for, like, play some shows, go up to Inverness and kind of travel about a bit, like, of course, done it for free. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, that kind of started snowballing, like, there was a guy that I met who was like, quit your part-time job, like, you, you can never do that, plus this, like, just take a leap of faith, mm-hmm. stick with it, and then started getting paid, like, £50 a, a show. At the start, and then obviously, was what was that? Cassidy? Was this Cassidy? Aye, aye, that was with Cassidy. That was maybe two thousand and nine. Um, and then worked with him for. I ended up working with him for maybe I think like three or four years. I still really good pals with the mod. You know what I mean? Like aye. the Absolutely. guy that I went to. Aye, they were class. Like I mean, this I still keep in touch with them. Like the guy who I went to uni way who's ended up being in the band I would call him one of my closest pals and actually I don't think I would be sitting talking to you about this the new if it wasn't for him if there was no need for him to turn around and be like oh I remember I was in the band with that guy he he kind of knew about his stuff maybe we'll ask him to come and help us out and he did and for that moment I mean I could have done my degree at university not being able to get a job and ended up working full-time in River Island, and, and who knows where I would have been now, but that one kind of chance meeting has led me to sort of be here the now, and Aye. and that kind of kept happening through the years to get, as you said, how did you get to this point? It's sort of things like that that sort of keep happening. You think the phone's not going to ring, and then it does, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, I, I mean, I've got a theory, but I've got quite a few points to, to touch on and everything that you've said there. So you said about oh, yeah. your dad saying about being able to wake up and, and enjoy and act, actively want to go and do what you're about to go and do with your work. Mm. Is, is, I, I genuinely think anybody that can do that is among the richest people in the world because right. you're, happy, you're, you're enjoying exactly what you're doing. So to, to, to relate that to kids, you know, at 16, 17, having to decide what to do with their life, I feel like there should be more emphasis on, okay, educational uh, attainments and achievements are very good and they're positive things and they can open doors for you. However, 
What you really need to focus on is what you actually enjoy doing for, you know, from a personal perspective, whether it's hobbies, what are you into, what are you interested in, pursue that and go and pursue it as, as, as sort of vigorously and aggressively as you can because that is what's going to really indicate to you what it is you want to be doing. So obviously that for you, that was music. Aye, um, totally. And, you know, if you're, if you're encouraging kids to pursue, just pursue what it is they enjoy doing, they're not really going to have, or they'll have less issues because the world then becomes clearer because you can relate that. And I would say then to kids or, or to anybody, if you find something that you like, just just go and do it and, and just go and do it as, as much as you can. It's, I, I think as well, like a lot of the tech, kind of, no, he kind of like, to talk down the kind of schooling system, I do think that like going to school and studying and being good at something is very important. And being good at something was something like when, when I was doing my subjects at school, there was a few things that I knew myself I was good at and I wanted to like go down the routes. But because like, for example, wanted to do woodwork and metalwork, but I couldn't do that because I was doing music. But then, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm having to take history, and it's like, why do I need to? And maybe it's changed now. I, like that's just for personal experience. Like, why am I having to take? Why am I having to take history and RE when or PE or whatever when like I know my strengths lie somewhere else? Like, why can I know mm-hmm. Taylor made my education in my strengths and what I enjoy so that like, moving forward uh, I can you- use the tools to kind of push myself into those. Like, I enjoy doing this so. I can fully go for it rather than spending half my day sitting in a classroom, no wanting to be there. Do you know what I mean? You can ap- you can appreciate that schools have got certain logistical challenges and constraints, oh, no, but, totally. but, a, but a kid shouldn't have to um, compromise on their education or what they're into. It's kind of like saying, right, you can have one, here are four things that you'd like, you can have one of them. And here's, another, exactly. <laughs> here's another group, here are four things, but you can only take one and you have to, you have to have this this weird sort of mix, but it's but also you, at the yeah. same time tell us exactly what you want to do for the rest of your life. <laughs> I know, but you're only allowed to pick one thing that you think you're good at. It's like what when you, when you look at people who have been mad success stories by accident or success stories overnight, there is always a common theme, and it's that they'll, they'll say, "Oh well, I just kind of did this thing because I really enjoyed it," and then do you know what? Just by pure chance, I get this amazing opportunity. And then just by pure chance, I just get this other opportunity, and it's like maybe it was chance, and maybe there's an element of I don't know. Maybe it was destiny. Maybe it was fate. Maybe it was something that was always going to happen for you, but you had to be the person who who took that first step, who sort of made those first wee bits happen in order to to get those jigsaws to to come together. You can I look think, back. Uh... I think that is a great point that you've made because I I say that to folk as well, like, oh, it was just like a chance thing that happened and like, like I said to you, like, oh, being self-employed, like, I need to find my own work. So like, like if a band stops touring and they're not touring anywhere, I need to find another band to work with. Sometimes I look at my calendar and be like, oh, no, I've got no work coming up and then the phone will ring and I'll think, oh, that was just what I, like... Mm-hmm like that was just by chance that that's happened but then as you said the other way to look at it is maybe the reason the phone rang is because you enjoyed doing what you're doing and in your job you've been kind of radiating that positivity that other folk have noticed Mm -hmm. and when the times came for them to be like I need somebody to be on my team or I want somebody to work with me you come up because because you've made that opportunity happen for yourself although you don't realize it do you know what I mean 
It's, aye, there's, there's, there is a reaction to every action that you take. Um, yeah. So you've you started sort of touring with Cassidy. Uh, I actually remember, do you remember bumping into him? <laughs> right, so I had messaged you years ago being like, mate, I can't believe you're working with Cassidy. I absolutely love them. Yeah. By weird chance, a few days later, uh, it was the Scottish PFA Awards. Professional oh my God, Was that the year that um, Charlie McGrew won? He won Player of the Year, I remember that, because Cassidy were playing, aye. it was at the Hilton. Aye, 2012 totally. it was. And, um, aye, I remember I, that. I, I didn't realise who I was talking to, and you're like, oh, this is like me for I'm going, no way. Absolutely love your team. Uh, I'm sure you were flying to America the next day. I don't know why that's ringing. Aye. Wait, do you know what's, it's funny you say that, do you know what's class? Like, you were obviously buzzing about, like, meeting the bands. See me, like, that was probably one of the best gigs I've ever done because we were at the Play the Year Awards and like, all the select players are there and then we went to the Corinthian after it and, like, everybody's so sitting, there's, like, a VIP area and, like, Neil <laughs> Lennon's like, oh, come and sit with us and, like, telling a story like that. For me, was, like, total, Aye. like, starstruck, you know what I mean? Aye, class. And uh, so what, what then, what was your next sort of step? Let's just say Cassidy kind of comes to an end naturally or whatever. Did you just Aye. move into another role? Well, again... Like, like anybody who's self-employed, you're a hired gun for that act. So when I'm working with that act, you're dealing with different... Like maybe you meet a band who is a support act on one of the tours, or maybe you meet somebody who's a tour manager of another band at a festival. It's all networking. Like it's such an important part of being self-employed, I think, is that you're networking abilities need to be kind of they don't need to be amazing you just need to be aware that like every time you're speaking to somebody like that could become a chance further down the road or that might open another door for you like that might get me work further down the line do you know what I mean so that that was kind of in the early days I wasn't so aware of that with Cassidy I was getting jobs through like as I said one of their dads was a music manager so he would put me in touch with like somebody else and Mm-hmm. Or, for example, directly the next big like body of work I had after Cassidy was with Las Vegas, and I ended up working with Las Vegas for I think and like three years or something like that. And the reason I got that job was because Cassidy had a big tour they like sold at the Barrowlands and all that, and they had to get a monitor engineer on the tour. But he's the guy that basically stands at the side of the stage and mixes the sound that the, the band hear. Mm-hmm. So, like so, they so they they are comfortable on stage. So this monitor engineer had came on, uh, a guy called Marty Capaldi, became pals with him. It just so happens that he was engaged to the manager of Las Vegas, who is also uh, the singer's sister. So it's just mad things like that. So one day I just get an email, through, or I think I was at a gig actually, and Marty was there, and he was like, "Oh, this is Denise. Uh, her name's Denise Allen." She's a total legend. She was like, um, "Oh, I am. We're looking for somebody to, to like the band. have got a new album coming out. We're looking for somebody to come and like, do all their, their guitars and their drums on." And then that was it. And then like went met the band, and then that's me go work for another three years. So it's just that's that kind of weird chance meeting, or like Aye. meeting somebody in passing that, that was, then sorts that out. 
Uh, how was it touring with Las Vegas? Do you remember sorting me a ticket in Barcelona? Aye. Was it bikini? Aye. Yeah. We were just, I was just back there with Luis Capaldi in October and I totally forgot about that place. And you know how there's no front door, it just sort of opens up for the ground like I'm at, like, like a baddie's like, like lair, like I'm at base. Like, and I, and I, I totally forgot I was there and then it all came flood by. I was like, I'm sure Sean McDonald, I met Sean McDonald here at a Las Vegas gig. It was like one of the weird dream Aye. things, like did that really happen? It was years ago because I had just moved and uh, I saw Las Vegas were coming, but it was sold out. I think I'd been there for two months and uh, then yeah. I saw you put something on Facebook and I was like, you fucking dancer, that's me. I'm uh, I'm here. That was it's class. It's wee things like that that, uh, it's wee, wee things like that that like, I really enjoy because like, although we both went to the same school and all that, like the fact that like I'm in Barcelona with my work and you happen to be there maybe at a loose end like that's class like that's such a good night out do you know what I mean the fact that you could come down and then I think we just kind of hung about and had a pint after it and just feel reminiscing all the all the school pattern and that it was absolutely amazing as well because I had just moved I didn't know anybody it was December I was counting down the days till I was coming back for Christmas because I was just a bit scunnered and uh, it came at the perfect time I'm sure it was like the start of December Although I, ah, I, yeah, I remember it was just before Christmas. I got on the subway to go up the road. So Bikini is up at uh, Diagonal, and I was, which is basically the edge of the city. And I was staying at uh, the other edge of the city. But I've got on the subway and went the wrong way. And then the trains have oh, finished. No. And I had to like, walk. Oh, no. Oh, I was absolutely scurred. I was like, fucking, don't you like Las Vegas? Barcelona, is it? <laughs> I don't like them that much, man. See, the weird thing about Salah Bikini, so for anybody listening who doesn't know it, me saying Lewis Capaldi or Las Vegas or anybody, because you get some really big acts playing in bikini, is like me saying, uh, let me think of an equivalent, um, Justin Bieber's playing in Tunnel Nightclub this weekend. You'd just be like, what? <laughs> 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 because it's it it a nightclub, it's weird. Uh, it's strange, man. It's one of the ones that like you load in in the morning, it's like 10, half nine, 10 in the morning, and you load in and you can still smell the night before. Like the <laughs> like the flare's still sticky and you can just smell like the sweat for the night before, like something's, something's happened in here a couple of hours ago. Do you know what I mean? It's, see, it's pretty rank. I've just had a wee bit of flashback. So see at that Las Vegas gig, there was this Chinese girl and she came over and she started talking to me, just being dead friendly and all that. And long story short, right? <laughs> long story short, she basically went, Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm totally obsessed with like this is how she spoke, right? I'm really obsessed with British culture. So I was like, What? Like, where are you from? And she's like, Shanghai. And I was like, oh, wow. I, I said, Do you live in England? And she's like, No, no, but I just love it and I want to move one day. And she had that sort of weird cockney accent. She's but like, she's yeah, like I love... in for Shanghai, like she wasn't even for Barcelona, but no, she was she 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 wasn't for Barcelona. She was from Shanghai. She lived somewhere nearby in Europe, and she flew in for right. this. She was a mad Las Vegas fan, and she's like, right. "Yeah, like she just." So I, I was kind of pressing her a wee bit, and I was like, "What do you mean you love British culture? Like, where does that come from?" And she said, 
well, it's a really big thing in China to be fascinated with English traditions and British culture and values and social stuff. And I was like, all right, I suppose that kind of makes sense. And I was like, well, what stuff are you into? And she was like, oh, I love the bill. Uh, I love Glass Vegas. <laughs> and I was like, I swear I was looking about and I was like, this is a fucking wind up. Like, there's a fucking. <laughs> here Somebody's winding me up here, totally. Something that, that I always find, I always do find, I continue to find really mind-blowing is that like when any act that I've toured with, they've always had this wee small cluster of fans that like follow them everywhere, like everywhere like even like there was a lassie I was working with, Danish lassie she had this 17 year old boy who lives in Sao Paulo but used to like fly to London and fly to LA to see it or not. It's like, first of all, where are you getting the money for? Second of all, like, that's mad that you're just like that. I don't know whether it's the music or the lyrics or like, what it is that's, that's got you that hook that you're flying all around the world to see like, and the, the thing is, like, see if a tour goes in sale, they'll buy like 10 dates in a row. So they're there every night. It's not like they're seeing it, like it's the same show, but it's just that like mania that they're there all the I time. Just, so that like some like that wouldn't surprise me if you're like, I she was Faye Shanghai and she flew to Barcelona for that one gig. So like, well, it, I've seen Stranger Things. That's so funny. Who who is the, we'll talk about that? Is that Mo? Is that how you say her name? Uh, you say uh, in in the West, I like in UK and in America, it's Mo. Like that's the Mo. way she'll tell folk to say it. In Danish, it's like M with O with a line through it. Uh, but in I'm Danish, you call that it's it's pronounced Mo. Mo. But then then if I was to say that, you'd say Mo, and it's like no, the Danes are like no, that's the sound a cow makes. It's a very difficult like inflection to get. So <laughs> she knows that, and it's just Mo. Mo is fine. Uh, Danish is mental. I had a Danish girlfriend, and uh, anytime I hear her talking to her pals, I just be like, yes, this may as well be Arabic or anything. Like, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? So, I mean, like, it's it's so funny to see, like, most of them are totally fluent in English, mm-hmm. but if not all of them. Aye, they speak better English than us. Totally. I would, I would, I've had Danes that will correct me, and I'm like, aye, like, fuck me, I'm speaking colloquial. <laughs> I, I understand uh, that's not perfect English. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what was it like touring with, touring with Mo? Because obviously you, that was far-reaching. Aye, what happened there was... Um... Escape your everyday with out-of-this-world action. From the gritty apocalypse of the Walking Dead universe to the cyberpunk realm of The Watch and the criminal underbelly of Gangs of London, AMC Plus is more than entertaining. It's epic. Feel all the chills and thrills with Shudder's Halfway to Halloween Month. Experience Shudder's biggest month of horror featuring a new season of Creepshow and new movie premieres every week, all available ad-free and on demand. Start your free trial today at amcplus.com. I was working with, I'd been working with Las Vegas and that, and then um, there was a tour manager in Scot- from Scotland who'd got a job with a Danish band. Uh, basically, the management company had took on this Danish band. They were called, called Mew, and they were kind of like pretty big in the 90s, like kind of like proggy space rock. And they, they So I'd known them kind of growing up, being the pure 
music geek that I was. So I was working with it. I ended up getting the job with them. And through that, ended up going to Denmark quite a lot. And then meeting guys who were Danish who worked with him for before. So then again, just networking and like meeting these Danish guys who kind of do similar jobs to, to what I do. I remember driving, I was working with that band Mew and it was right before they went back into the studio to, to record another album. So he, again, January, looking at like a totally empty calendar, being like, what am I going to do? The guy I was working with, we were driving for Aarhus in Denmark, which is like way kind of west, northwest, driving back to Copenhagen, which is like right on the east, right of the water. So we're driving back across and we're driving this white transit van with all the equipment in the back. And he had the radio on and he turned the radio up and one of Mo's songs, Kamikaze, was on. And he was like, do you know who this artist is? And I was like, nah, nah. He was like, you know that Lean On song? Lean On had just come out, which is mm-hmm. a pure global smash. And I was like, aye, aye, I know that. He was like, she's actually Danish and this is her next single and like she's going to be massive. Like she's going to be huge. And I was like, all right, cool. And he was like, actually, I know the manager. It'd be class if like we could get that, that gig after this gig. So then... I think maybe like eight weeks later or something, I remember I was in the gym, Toll Cross, had no work. I think I was living off like soup. I was like going to Tesco and buying like five cans of soup and that was my lunch for the week and going to the gym. Phone rings, it was a Danish number and it was that last, it was a manager just being like, oh, so the guy I was in the van with, he's passed on your details and said that you want this gig and we're looking for somebody more permanent. They'd been employing a guy for America to fly to Denmark like every other week today, like the programming and day, and he that, that it turned out that guy was a drummer and he wanted to be a drummer, he didn't want to do the job anymore. Mm-hmm. So they're like, God, oh, you want to do it? And I was like, That's class. And they're like, We need you to move to Copenhagen, like in a couple of weeks and stay and live here. And I was like, Right. Fortunately enough, my missus had moved to Milan, she lived there for two years, she was teaching, she's a primary school teacher, so mm-hmm. she'd moved there, so I didn't really have any ties. So they were like, do you want to move to Copenhagen and like live here and work with a band? And I was like, aye, mm-hmm. obviously. <laughs> it's, it, it, beats, it beats going to the gym and toe cross every day and soup for my lunch, you know what I mean? Like, I take, I take it to, to really thrive or be successful in the industry, the type of thing you do, you have to be open to suggestion or adaptable then because you can't, if you turn in and say, oh, no, I don't know, can I think about it? They'll just turn in and go, nah, like we need to ask somebody. Who but that's can... it. Uh, if somebody comes, like, it's it's a stupid thing to say, but, like, folk in this industry say that if you get offered a job and somebody asks you, do you know how to work this programme or this piece of software or this instrument, and you say no, you're not getting the job. <laughs> but if you say aye, and in the time it takes for you saying aye to actually go on and doing the job, if you learn everything you can in that amount of time, nobody will know any different. So it's kind of like the art, the art of the blag. Do you know what I mean? Aye, that's it. I was talking to who was it? Uh, Martin Geisler. Uh, I interviewed oh, him on Saturday, and we were talking about yeah. that sort of blagging it and talking your way in. And he was saying that there'll be a lot of people that will come into the BBC, for example, uh, with qualifications coming out of their ears and work experience lasts, you know, as long as their arm. But they've not, they've not got any part, or they've no, they're no. Um, they're not streetwise and you have to be I suppose mm. streetwise and then he's saying that the people who go on to thrive are the people that come in with a bit of ragtag attitude and just think nah fuck it I'm just going to absolutely blag it here fake it to well, me that's it 
And like, kind of going back to sort of like folk coming out of school and, and looking at like careers and stuff like that, like, again, like education is very important, but you've also got to, what makes you stick out for a hundred other folk that want that job, do you know what I mean? Sometimes you've got to be able to trust yourself enough to take a leap of faith, to be like, if somebody offers you a job and be like, they've offered, like, uh, that job offers on the table, I really want it, but there's one or two aspects that I'm not sure about. If you take that leap of faith, but knowing yourself, like, it's going to be hard work, but you really, like, put the work in, like, I, you might be blagging it at the start, but within a certain amount of time, like, you, you, you kind of deserve that job, do you know what I mean? You're in, you're in a position for a reason. Right. See, it's yeah, just up to you not- to kind of make up the groundwork, exactly. Like, you've got the job for a reason. If you've put yourself out there enough and you've got that kind of mental approach, obviously that's what's got you the job. And then the kind of, the logistics or the kind of, the the intricacies of the job, that's that's when you need to put yourself to work to make sure that that isn't a problem. So once you're in Copenhagen, um, yes, I take it, did that did a, a tour just begin? Did, was it worldwide? Because I just feel as if seeing you um, on there was like, it just felt as if one minute you're in fucking Jimmy Kimmel and then you're in Australia and then you're in the Far East. I, that... That was kind of when I seen things change quite a lot. Like before, I started working with Mo. I was I was only kind of working with like rock bands, so it was like one tour bus, doing the kind of club sweaty club tours, like the the bikini and all that, and showing up and kind of battering out a set, and then and then you're done. Whereas when I started, partly the reason I attained that Mo gig is because it was like that's this is opening a door to like the pop world for me. Mm-hmm. I've only worked with like rock bands or indie bands and that before. Like this is really opening a door to like like pop stars. Do you know what I mean? And the difference being, when I started working with Mo, that was two thousand and sixteen, and she'd already been on tour constantly for four years before that. She had an album out constantly toured it and then the major laser thing come up just before I started working with her and Lean On became a global hit now if you have a global hit, now that was number one in like 50 odd countries it was crazy, I can't, it was like one of the first songs to have a billion streams and all that, like, like mind blowing how big that song was like it doesn't stop then because you, you, you're constantly promoting or you're constantly catching up with it, how big the single gets. So say you book a tour in America to promote that song, that's going to take you maybe at least 40, 10, anywhere between four and 10 weeks to tour America. But then you need to go to like New Zealand and then you need to go to Australia and then you need to go and then and in between all the tours, you've got press and promo. So you're flying places to day TV shows and all that. So when I moved to Copenhagen, it's funny because I, I actually hardly spent any time there. Like I was living there, like I had a flat and all that, but because the way that Mo's career and how big that song was and how big big her career was becoming, you're constantly, t- like it's a it's one tour. It's no like a tour of America, then a tour of Europe, then a tour of Japan. You just, one tour kind of like just, joins on to another and if you've ever got a week off you're going to end up doing some tv show or something anyway so you end up just being away all the time does it does it ever 
encroach into the territory of becoming unenjoyable for the artist, do you think? Because they obviously get into it for the music and they want to express themselves. There is the core enjoyment or the core motivation, but obviously then these other things come into it. Do you think it's possible that artists can just go, fuck this, or have you ever seen that? It's definitely, I mean, it, every every single artist is different, do you know what I mean? Everybody's a human being, everybody reacts to things. I think a lot of people like forget that they are they are creative people and they are artists, so it makes them a wee bit different. For, you know, I mean, Joe Blogs, like me or you, I'm not a creative person, they are, but they're still a human being, so emotions can take over sometimes or stress fatigue all these things like if you're constantly on the road like doesn't matter if you're the biggest pop star in the world you've still got your mom and dad up the road some of them have got girlfriends boyfriends whatever it is kids like it's still the same emotion missing your family is still the same for whoever it is do you know what i mean so of course an artist is going to feel those kind of emotions that you might think, oh, surely they don't, they only just like, oh, this is shite. Of course they feel that. But at the same time, that's their, that's their job. They've, maybe they've, maybe they've not known how big it might get or like underestimated how much they might be away. But at the same time, it's the job. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, it is the job. I was going to say that, as you say, it's the job, and with every job, there are elements that you might not enjoy, but they just, unfortunately, they have to be done. I suppose that's it, that, totally. That's what separates the, the real high achievers. We um, we being professional, just getting it done, biting the bullet, and, and accepting it. And, it'll get you and sometimes, sometimes it might be like sacrificing two or three years of your life to be like, Right, for these next two years, I'm going to be away from home and I'm just going to need to deal with that. I'm going to miss birthdays, I'm going to miss weddings, I'm going to miss this, I'm going to miss that. But if it works out, then I like, for example, say, say you were like, right, I'm going to push this album for two years solid and, and, it, and it went global and it was massive and you make millions, you could turn around to your label after that and be like, right, I want to take a year off. Mm-hmm. And then you can have the whole year off, or you can have two years off, or you can do what like Ed Sheeran's doing and just turn around and be like, or Paolo Nettini, and just be like, I'll make an album when I'm ready, or Adele, I'll make an album when I'm ready to make an album, but see, the you new, know, you've had me on the road for the last years, so I'm just going to go home and be myself now. Aye, I actually you know looked, I mean? looked into Paolo Nettini because I said that about a month or two ago, like, is Paolo Nettini all right? Where is he? Like, what is happening? And I started having a wee look, but it was, it seemed as if for a period he was touring like wee festivals in Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo and all that. And I thought, what a fucking life. Like he gets to sing his music and enjoy it, see these places. And people are going, oh no. I think people think if you're not in the spotlight in the UK or in, and what they're aware of, that you're just not doing anything with your life. And it's like, probably having the fucking time of his life. Uh, And also, I think. When you get to when you get to a certain level, you're like you're always in demand. Do you know what I mean? Like you're no have like Adele could bring out an album tomorrow, and everybody would like it. Everybody would go and buy it and get a listen or buy tickets. Like she doesn't have to promote herself anymore. She is Adele, so that's it. Do you know what I mean? Like when you hit that level, and it's a, a very very like it's the upper echelons. Like it's Aye. no that many artists can get there where like. 
you can just turn around and be like, I've got another album coming out, but I'm not going to day TV shows. I'm not going to promote it. I'm not going to day Live Lounge. I'm not going to day this. I'm not going to day that. I'm just going to... Like, some some artists are like, I'm going to bring out an album and I'm not even going to tour. Because right. I don't want to. Do you know what I mean? The one, the one thing I will say, like, going back to, like, you talking about saying, like, oh, the artists get, like, bored and all that. See what I do? I'm still, like, I, as I said, like, a self-employed stage technician uh if if an artist that i work with's album flops or doesn't do that well i'll go and work with another act like my job my jobs doesn't like it's not that i'm never gonna work again whereas see for these artists it's their one chance like not to get all m&m about it like you've only got one shot but it is genuinely like nobody's gonna say like if you've had an album out and you've become a well-known artist and it flops and then you get dropped nobody's gonna be like oh another record company's not gonna come in and be like oh we'll give them a chance and, and it look like if you're riding that wave like it's your one chance to make it happen so again like as you said before they might be like oh this is this is too much of that but it could be over the morrow for them do you know what i mean and then that's it I suppose I you've got to just capitalise and put everything put everything in that you put can. all your chips in the table. Do you know what I mean? Like Aye. if it's going to be your your one shot, then you've got to go for it, full full bang, or else, or else you could walk away being like, "Oh, see if I'd have just stuck in a wee bit more and said hi to that interview or went on that tour, I could I could be a I could be like much more successful than what I'm now." Avoid shoulda, woulda, couldas by just doing it. You said that uh, touring, going, sort of going on tour with Mo was the foot into that pop world. So with that comes even things that are attached to the music industry, like entertainment, uh, shows, I don't know, meeting other people. What were the, uh, what were the pinch me moments? Because there must have been some as you come into that more mainstream A-lister world, if you will. I so the kind of pop world for like that was when that was kind of like a big draw for me was that like right the pop world isn't just going on a two week tour and then coming home like it's so much more promo happens you've Mm -hmm. got a lot more um, corporate stuff that happens like things that like normal punters wouldn't know about Mm -hmm. like for example a Russian oligarch wants to give you 500 grand to come and play his 15 year old son's birthday <laughs> in Moscow and they fly you in in a private jet you play the show and then they fly you home the next day in a private jet like there's so much stuff like that that happens behind the scenes that that like know that it doesn't happen to bands as well like obviously it happens to but it's it's more the kind of upper, upper end of the scale do you know what I mean like right. that's when you get asked to start doing those kind of things for me the way I look at it the way I looked at it was just that it's like, oh, that's another work day for me. So, like, I get paid every day that I'm working. So, mm-hmm. for me, it's just like, if I work with a pop star, there's going to be more days in the year that I'm working. So, so I'm making more money. So, it wasn't like, for me, it was like, oh, I get to go to all these, like, fancy places and that. Because, again, like, the reality of it is, for me, maybe the artist is different, but, like, me going to a TV show, like, for example, The Brits. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting about for 12 hours a day, stepping on everybody, trying to stay out of everybody else's road because they're pitting on the Brits and I'm just there to day one artist. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting, I'm, 
you know, it's the venue's there for ten times the amount of folk that what it normally would be for a normal show. So you're not getting a dressing room, you're not getting the kind of space. You're you're sitting in a corner trying to stay out of everybody's road. And that's the reality. It's not all the glitz and glam. Maybe the artist gets to walk the red carpet and that. But I'm hanging about about out the back, flicking on Twitter, trying to no smoke forty fags. Do you know what I mean? Hi. What uh, what people would you meet in those encounters or sort of brush shoulders way that you would just think, fucking hell, how, how has this happened? I was in a gym in Toll Cross recently in uh, Aye. Elton John. There's, or, been a, uh, uh, there's been a couple of them that have happened. We've done the kind of two pinch me moments. Well, what one of the things that happened a couple of weeks, well, just before the new year, we've done the Sports Personality Year Award. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, like, like meet meeting other musicians and that doesn't really. It's great and that. And sometimes you are like, like Rihanna, I'll walk past you and be like, wow, like that's Rihanna, or, like that's Beyonce. But for me, it's like sports personality year award. We've done the sound check and then like the SPL trophy, the Premier League trophy, like all the like the Ashes, the Wimbledon trophy, like they were all there. Like each trophy had a bodyguard, and like we're getting photos with it. And then like Gary Lineker comes out, like that stuff that I'm like, this is mad. Or like after the show, like waiting to we were waiting to load out, but we had to wait because Princess Anne was like walking out. So like all these royal guards and that are kicking about. I'm like, how, how, what am I doing? Like what, how, who let me in this building? Do you know what I mean? Hi, that's so funny. Another one was like. The, the we were, I was working with uh, the, last year. I was doing a couple of gigs with Florence and the Machine, and it was um, at the Acropolis. Two of the shows went at the Acropolis. Right. It was like he, the the theatre of Herodes or something. Wow. It's kind of the uh, like see the the Pantheon. Like you kind of yeah. what you see on top of the hill. There's mm-hmm. like a big theatre there. There's like a big marble theatre there Aye. that was like used like back way back when. See, that's and the sort of stuff that I buzz off that, and I'm I, mad that, into history. So we are stunning on this, like, we've had to crossload, like, a, an Arctic lorry up these wee thin streets in Athens, take everything out the back, put it in a wee box truck, get it up to, like, the top of the hill. It's all at marble. If, if you've ever been up there, it's all marble, like, flare. Everything's marble. And we are, like, lifting these big flight cases and setting stuff up, like, in our ancient ruin. And there's like a wee woman running about making sure that we don't like ping fagged out or like eat our lunch or about it and that. And it's like stunning on that stage, setting up and being like, how um as a wee dafty fair of Royston, who let me who's flying me out here to do this? Who's who's trusting me to make sure this goes all right? Like that's mad. Do you ever get that? A lot of it, like, that was that for me, like it's things like that where I'm just like who, like, working with Mo, she was, like, headlining the uh, Roskilde Festival in Denmark, and that's, like, 85,000 people in front of the stage. And it's me that presses play to, like, make sure all, all the lights are in time and that the, the intro starts and the, everything works. And, like, thinking about it, it's hilarious because, like, like you get to, when you're in that moment, you're totally focused and you're not thinking about it, but, like, on hindsight, you're, like, like, that's mad. Like that, right. a wee dafty like me could be in charge of something like that. Being obviously very capable, you wouldn't be being entrusted with these things. Um, and most recently, you've now been working with with Scotland's current favourite son, Lewis Capaldi. How's that been going? 
it's great, man. Um, it's I was I was so happy I got the gig because it's kind of meteoric rise to fame happened so quick, and I was on tour with like other bands, and I could see it happening. But then again, like the the sea parted, and I'm looking at a whole calendar like with nothing in it. And sent a blanket email out to everybody I knew in the industry, and then it just so happens that the the one bit, one of the bites I get back was, "Oh, listen, things are really taking off for Lewis." It was just it was a weekend before he done Glastonbury. It was like, "Oh, we're doing Glastonbury next weekend," and like things are looking like it might really kind of blow up. And I was like, "Right, that would be class." And then obviously, by the time I started working with him in October, he's like global superstar number one in America and all that, like crazy it, the good thing for me anyway is that new, like I'm back working with a Scottish act mm-hmm. it's been great working with like Americans and like English people, Danish people but the fact, now I've got a, I've got a family at home rather than me having to like go for tour rehearsals that take four weeks and then a six-week tour. Aye. I'm at home, and like he's he's rehearsing in Scotland or in Glasgow, so I'm in my own bed every night. Like it's the small things like that people don't realise. Like working with a Scottish act that really benefits me. Mm-hmm. And obviously, he's, as everybody knows, great crack. Do you know what I mean? Like he's he's, he's a very he's very very funny, and he's very like the boy's twenty three year old, and he's. He's got his head screwed on. Like it blows me away with like his drive and like just his knowledge of what's going on. And I like what he's re- he's kind of he's blown me away. Like I think to myself, like what was I doing at twenty three? And then looking at him and being like, wow, like he's not a daft boy. Like he's mm-hmm. really knows what's going on. It yeah. makes me proud. Like see, doing the big shows and that that he's just done. Like it was clear. It was so good. Just it was a kind of real kind of group sort of like elation. See if um, obviously it's great in terms of being able to rehearsals or whatever's been done in Scotland and you're in your own bed, but even when you're away, I know full well how it feels to be surrounded by people who just don't get your part or see you be able to get a bit of a laugh, be, be in Japan or Australia or wherever, but still you can still get a laugh with somebody who's just up the road. Aye. There's been so many times where I've been on tour with folk and like I'll think of something so funny. They're like something will happen and it'll be like maybe like a still game quote or something will like ma- like tie in with that. I totally still game quote and they just don't I and like I'll say it out loud and everybody's just like, What are you talking about? Like whereas I know that if I was with a group of boys fake <laughs> Glasgow, we'd all be rolling about laughing, do you know what I mean? I, I, so that's good, definitely that is class. It took me a while, so I, I mean, I, I wouldn't call myself like, um, or I wouldn't define myself as being dim or thick, but there was when I first moved away, it didn't quite click to me. Wait a minute, people aren't going to get your jokes or your partner or your references or anything. I remember like uh, totally. a, a company in Spain and a guy saying, can you see me now? Because we're trying to fix something on a camera and I was like, can you see me now? Open this door, I say. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, why the fuck would I expect him to know who Jack is? For me, it's all like, I didn't realise quite how fast not only Scottish folk, but folk for the West of Scotland speak to, to each other. Aye. Like, uh, no, I slow do it. Like, if I'm speaking to somebody, even if they're English or if, like, 
you know, not from Scotland, mm-hmm. I'll be really wary of slowing down so that they can catch what I'm saying. But then I remember once my my, my fiance, my girlfriend at the time, she came out on tour and kind of uh, was meeting folk for the first time and the bus driver was hanging about and I was, he was with an earshot and I was just talking to my missus and he's come up and tapped me in the shoulder and he was like, I have no idea, like I've known you for a year and that's the first time where I've had no clue what you've just said there. Because obviously I'm like as if I would normally would and I'm no slowing down. So that for me was like a big thing like, oh wow, like I really need to slow myself down and think about what I'm saying here. You, quarantine is obviously happening, but in lockdown, as we wrap up, uh, I'm not keep you too much longer, but uh, quarantine is is currently in, well, no quarantine, but lockdown's in full swing. You were supposed to be in Los Angeles at Coachella. Talk me through that. It's a fucking uh, show. You. It is. Um, I mean, there's nothing we could, you can really do about it. When something like that happens, you're kind of bound to government if the government are not like we for example we were we were on the like the end of that uk run we had two shows in at wembley and mm. on the friday the first show all these rumors started happening oh there's going to be a cobra meeting about this coronavirus thing things might start getting cancelled by the sunday was the last show in aberdeen and on the monday morning that was so sunday night was fifteen thousand folk at p and j live in aberdeen and then on the monday morning there was no gatherings over 500 folk mm-hmm. allowed. So it was kind of, it was pretty tight at the end of that tour. And I kind of had a, like, we all sort of knew that, like, this could affect our industry pretty, but like, if you're going to stop mass gatherings, like, mm-hmm. that's, we, we are, we, we day mass gatherings, do you know what I mean? Just <laughs> have that on the side of the tour bus. We day mass gatherings. <laughs> um, but that, that, then I was like, Christ, if they start cancelling stuff, like, like I'm not getting paid. Do you know what I mean? Like Nanny's getting paid. Like all the t- what's going to happen with all the tickets? What's going to happen with the punters? Like all the flights, all the hotels. Like I'd booked a, I'd booked myself a Dodge Challenger for the week half in between the two Coachella weekends. I was like, oh no, man, I'm going to cancel that motor. Looking forward to pure cruising about LA. Uh, but all the wee bits, it's just kind of like it affects me now because that's me. Like we're looking at what could possibly happen over the summer. Do you know what I mean? They've obviously had Glastonbury cancelled. You've had uh, the Danish Prime Minister saying that there'll be no gigs or any kind of mass gatherings happening before September. Mm. It puts me in limbo and it puts everybody who works in the industry a wee bit in limbo because it's not just that it's affecting, it's affecting the whole sort of like, nobody can go and do promo at radio stations, nobody can go on the telly, Nobody can really push an album because how are you going to go and promote it? Mm. So I think our, our industry's totally stoked deed right now and it's the first time, like we, I kind of thought we were invincible through all this sort of recession and all that. Everybody's always going to want to go to a music, like everybody's always going to want to go to a gig no matter what's happening in the world. Folk need that, that entertainment, folk need an escape, folk need a release. They're always going to want to go to gigs. We're, we're going to stand the test of time. But obviously... Something as massive as this when it affects so many folk. And I mean, it, I, it's all right for me sitting moaning saying I could be in LA for the last two weeks and driving a motor a bit, but see, to be honest, when it comes to folks' health, like 
I, I can't I really can't complain. Like as long as I'm at home with my family and we're we're doing all right, then as, as I was going to say, as we discussed earlier about um, artists sometimes being like, fucking hell, this is a bit much. Uh, and maybe even crew might think the same as if naturally things just get a wee bit too too much for anybody um, when it's sort of sustained and intense. But you know, not have anybody making any complaints when things do kind of get back to normal. Everybody's going to be like, no, what, do you know what? Give double the workload because uh, I, totally. done it. I think when it does eventually, if and when, it, it, it like dies down and kind of we regain some sort of normality. It will be a m- massive party. Like mm-hmm. I know that like probably every artist who is currently not touring at the moment will be what like wanting to go into it. Everybody who's maybe oh, I've no no been a gig in ages. Like, I I feel like it will be like revitalized. Like everybody's kind of sense of community and wanting to go out and enjoy themselves. Like mm-hmm. restaurants will be rammed, pubs will be rammed. G- Gigs will be sold out. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think everybody maybe no taking it for granted, but everybody's just kind of like plods along a wee bit. Whereas now everybody can look at life with a bit more positivity. I hope yeah. at, the, at the other end of it. Do you know what I mean? I, I, that's I've, hopefully something we get out yet. I've said that quite a few times, and it's not. I'm not overlooking the 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 financial impact it's having people, but most importantly, the health impact and deaths and Aye. stuff like. Those are horrendous and they're, they're really, really sad. But I think there hopefully could be some positivities to take out of the rubble of these ruins because, <clears throat> as you say, maybe a bit more community spirit, detachment from materialism and bullshit a wee bit would certainly do us a lot of good. But also just, you know, so. every, every, everything's on tap now. Anything you want is on tap. You want to book a flight, you can book it on your phone, you can be at the airport within about a couple of hours. You can have a car booked, you can have any film. You can, everything is at our fingertips. And we just become, as you would, it's human nature, you just become a wee bit accustomed to that and you start to take it for granted. So it might, might not be the worst thing that could have happened for a sort of societal aspect. So you just need to, to hope that, that it does go that way. But we'll Aye. see. Do we, do we, take, we take heed of those positive or potential positives. There's, there's always positives in there that you can take for, for every, uh, was it, I think Napoleon Hill said, for every failure, setback, or disappointment comes a seed of an equal or greater benefit. So hopefully that's something that is going to spring. Um, what is when when lockdown does end? Do you know what's happening? I take it you would have been touring with with Lewis Capaldi. Or... I mean, there's obviously we've still got a full summer schedule. There's a lot of festivals that haven't been cancelled yet. Um, so as far as we as far as we know, the gigs are until we're told otherwise. Those gigs are still happening. Um, I really hope so. I mean, again, like as I said, if the government if the government say no, the government there's nothing that MD can do about it. I really hope it does happen because first of all, I've never been before. I've always been away, so I really want to go this year. Nah, I've always been away. I've always been away doing other stuff. See everybody. See everybody at bitches about it, and I hope RT uh, DF is listening to this because this is me doing my plug for for transmit, right? Aye, 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 not transmit is fucking brilliant because you can complain about the music all you want. You you kind of get a lineup that's going to please everybody, but oh. it's Glasgow Green. It's been sunny every year. You can go up the road and you can, you can go for a night out if you want, although I've been the fucking rubber man, so I can't actually go anywhere. <laughs> did the first year. Um, anyway, 
and it's it's just everybody always goes on about oh how good are people for Glasgow? How good are Scottish people at, at partying and all that? Everybody has such a great time. So then you get you get given that in Glasgow Green, then people still want to complain. I think it's brilliant. It's a great laugh. I've had a great time every year. Well, as you said before, everybody uh, everybody's got everything at their fingertips, you know, and people are spoilt for choice. So folk are going to moan about stuff like that. But see if you take it away for them or potentially take it away for them and they're stuck in their house for six weeks. Things like that hopefully won't be taken for granted. The folk will only turn their noses up at it. Exactly. I, mean? I actually said that I really I enjoyed Transmit that much, that if you took the music away, I'd still go. Because it's just everybody getting on it in a big sunny field. And I don't see... Aye, exactly. <laughs> I don't, I don't totally. see... I see no downsides here. It's fucking brilliant. Aye, exactly. Uh, anything else? Is there anything else that, I've no, uh, that you wanted to talk about that I've not covered? Or? Um, no, really. Um, the only the only point I would... I I mean, we spoke about uh, education coming through. The only, the only big thing... In fact, nah. The only thing I would say that the, the downside of it a day is to sort of can have a... I know you've been... Uh, talking with a lot of folk about the kind of mental health aspects of like work mm-hmm. and being a, and 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 how how do you speak out about that and um what approach do you take if you're feeling down and all that and being on the road and be a part of the music industry it can be very tough because mm-hmm. it's high pressure constantly every day they know the big shows you got a lot of pressure on your shoulders you're away for your family you're missing birthdays you're missing funerals you're missing weddings. I've found myself like sometimes pure, absolutely like sit, sitting in my hotel room at three in the morning, absolutely gutted, getting the FaceTimes for my pals who are all out having a good time. And um, just that it is important. Like we've found it ourselves. We've we've lost pals in the industry that that have, it's been too much a lot of mm. the time. Do you know what I mean? Um, the music industry's new. Or like there are there's charities that are kind of starting to look more more to the music industry and help folk. Um, if if folk are you know feeling lonely or folk are missing home or folk are feeling depressed or folk are worried about where their next paycheck's going to come from, all that stuff obviously builds up. Um, there's like music ma- uh, music minds matter at uh, an organisation that are kind of tailored to folk in the music industry that may have the worries and anxieties uh, helpmusicians.org is another one um, Tiny Changes is a Scottish based one that I think uh, I don't know if Craig or that spoke about that before it was set up Scottish. by aye that's it um, sometimes it can it can seem like it's a lot and it can seem like you're you're drowning a wee bit and all the kind of mm-hmm. pressure and what's going on and and where and maybe what's going wrong? Maybe you maybe you want to be home. Maybe maybe you feel like you're doing the wrong thing. Maybe maybe you're an artist and the pressure's too much for you. But the, you always need to just be able to speak about it because it's so important. And 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 f- there'll always be somebody out there to listen. And there's always a way out. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, that obviously applies so specifically to you and people in the music industry. You're able to speak for that experience of being away and in that particular environment. And that obviously extends to anybody else listening, no matter what industry or what part of society or, or whatever you want to call it you're in. Um, speaking right. and communication is the key in it. Um, it really is just... 100%, it's, it took me a lot of years to realise that. And if you just speak about it, if, if you literally... 
No way, I'm just looking at the window and there's a mad fucking plane like then pure loops. Sorry, I just totally distracted me there, but why would a plane be <laughs> doing like lit- literal loops in the sky? That totally caught through me there. Is that, just, is that essential? Is that essential work that's being done the new as well? I there's a it. lockdown. I feel like as if they're just having a good time. It's totally <laughs> floating. Mad. Lucky for uh, I know, totally threw me just as I was saying something quite profound there. But I, uh, anybody, as we always say, no professing to be any type of expert or have any solutions, but I can only say what's worked for me. And it's just uh, just speaking because you find it when you express it, it actually might just leave your mind. So speak to somebody uh, and all will be well. Definitely. It's good to talk, man. I know. And, and it's been good to talk to you, mate. This has been great fun. When uh, We need to get on the beers when the lockdown is over. We can't I know. Keep... I, know. I, was always, I was always really looking forward to having the opportunity to come on and maybe go to a wee beer garden and have a laugh. And here we are. Here I'm sitting in my room. I know. But we'll, we'll do it right next time around. But we'll, make, we'll make up for it, mate. If anybody Definitely. wants to you, to, to you, if anybody wants to get you in social media and they can see your travels, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm not adding them to Facebook. That's for that's for my family. So that oh they they get locked to it. Cra- the crazies are only allowed on my Instagram and <laughs> Twitter. Paul Doc eighty nine on Instagram and the Ginger Ninja uh, Twitter. Magic. Well, thanks. Class. Thanks very much, mate, for your time and thanks to you for listening. And I'll catch you next time. Love you loads, mate. Cheers. <laughs>